nearly every conversation I've ever had with another guy has fallen into one of four categories. One, entertainment and sports. Two, home renovations. Three, financial and jobs. Or four, things our kids do. Now the myth, of course, is that men don't talk. We do, it's just that a lot of our conversation is superficial. When you look at these topics, there aren't a lot of room for feelings. So you can imagine the trouble that I had talking about my infertility issues. It's kind of understandable, though, from the listener's perspective, when you consider how hard it is to be empathetic if you haven't gone through infertility yourself. Can Winnipeg writer John Waldman answer 100 questions in five minutes to win the Manitoba money shot? All this plus Robin's Donuts first commercial on this episode called John Waldman Shouts on River Heights. Winnipeg. What's this guy Money Shot Podcast with me, Ronald George Moore. Coffee's not coffee unless there's donuts on the side. I'm a little loaded. And the donut's not a donut unless it's Robin. What, this camera here? And the donut's not Okay, hello Winnipeg, I'm Harvey Cardwell. And I'm George, turn this down. And I'm George Spicer. We're the founders of Robin's Donuts, and we came here, and... We've been drinking That's since right, noon. That's right, Harvey. We're at 250 York Avenue. <laughs> we're ball. inviting everyone to pop on in. We got free champagne for everybody. It's our grand opening. Plus the best coffee you've ever had in your entire fun. life. Come try our delicious muffins and eclairs. We got soup. Fresh as my butt. We have poppy. We have a wide range of sandwiches, delicious sandwiches. Just give me the bottle. To try and oh, I almost forgot. We have the Golden Jet himself, Bobby Hull, is here, and he's going to be signing autographs for everyone who comes down. He's Harvey. Where is he? Uh, we were drinking in the kitchen. Bobby. Hey, Bobby. I'm here. I'm here. Goddamn. I'm just. Get making a sandwich. Are we rolling? Hi. Hi, folks. Oh, yep. my God. You reek. Come on down. Get Bobby Hall's signature. Here, Bobby boy. I poured you a double. Harvey. Signature. Hey, why don't you pour Bobby Hall and yourself some signature. of our delicious Robin's Donuts coffee that you can find 24 hours a day at our new location at 250 York Street. Why don't you come on down? Can you please turn down the music? Please. Hey, George. Bobby passed out. All right, well, let's pick him up. Let's, All right. Let's put, set him down in that chair over there. But please, let's avoid that huge table of champagne glasses and champagne bottles that are... All right, bring no, him to the away, table. Oh, wait. Ah! Oh, God, George is hurt. I'm okay. Bleeding. Yeah. Bleeding on Bobby. I'm all good. Yeah, let me, oh, get, let me up. Are we done? Let me up. Someone help. Uh, all right, time for a drink. Where's help? my sandwich? Let's have a drink. Robin's Donuts, here to Harvey, stay, 1980. Call an ambulance. No, you call an ambulance. You don't tell me what to do. Hey, hi, uh, Ronald George Moore. I am the host of the Manto Money Shed podcast, and coincidentally, that's what you're listening to right now. Word. Hi. Uh, you know, really, hi. Thank you for listening and checking out the show. Um, we got John Waldman, a Winnipeg writer. Uh, but before we get into him, uh, I just wanted to let you know that uh, you can check out uh, our page on SoundCloud and uh, maybe even, you know, hit that subscribe button. That would be pretty cool. And, of course, you can like and comment on iMusic or uh, Stitcher. We're on a few platforms. We're on Amazon. Um, we're not on Spotify, but, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's like like the movie Titanic. I- I'm never going to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you haven't seen Titanic? You gotta say, nah, I don't want it. It's the same thing with Spotify. I'm like, eh, I know. I really should. I just don't want to. <laughs> I just don't wanna. So I'm not gonna. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, our, uh, I use a Twitter, Manitoba Money Shot. That's uh, capital M, capital B, Money Shot. Does it even matter what the capitals, Money Shot? MB Money Shot. Um, Facebook as well, to a lesser extent. I kind of post on there. And what else? Oh, YouTube. I like to put up occasionally some sort of video relating to this crazy podcast or or stuff. Who knows? And uh, stuff. 
Uh, so just Google the Manitoba Money Shot podcast, and uh, yeah, things will pop up. You'll you'll find it. You'll find stuff. Just like it, um, five star it, comment it, uh, hit the bell of it. If there's a bell, ring the bell. <laughs> Whatever you you know what to do. Just do it. You know, be a be a dude. <laughs> Uh, anyways, uh, let's talk about John Waldman for a sec. Okay, you heard him at the beginning of the show. TEDx Talks. Um, TEDx, every, you know, we all know what TEDx is. It's like a talking event where people talk. And John Waldman, from 2017, he has this video on there. Um, and he talks about his experience um, with infertility. Uh, he speaks about infertility awareness. And this this uh, ten minute video, it's it's yeah, it really pulls you into his to his story. You know, you really you really got a feel for the for the for the dude. And um, that's he's he's turned it into a book, which was just released March thirtieth of uh, twenty twenty one. And that book is called Swimming Aimlessly: uh, One Man's Journey Through Infertility and What We Can All Learn from It. Okay. Um, it's at Amazon. You can order it online at Amazon. If you, you're not leaving the house, if you want to do the old pickup locally, McNally Robinson, of course, is the place to go, the place to call to get your books. Um, and it was really fun talking with John because, um, he has, um, not okay. Well, he has his book out, but he has a few other books in the library, uh, that you can, um, check out, literally, uh, and their books about his passions, you know, there's, there's a books about collecting baseball cards and sports cards, he has a book about wrestling, he has a book about uh, the Winnipeg Jets, we all love the Jets here in good old Peg City, um, so yeah, it's, it was really cool talking about uh, these subjects with them, and as a matter of fact, to be honest, like, while we were speaking, uh, there was so much to run through by the end. We didn't really even touch too much on infertility, but you know, in retrospect, I'm kind of glad because I don't want to, I didn't want to, you know, when people come on the show and they have a product they're selling, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Right. I don't want to like start asking questions that the book answers. And, and we had, there was so much to talk about by the end. I was like, well, it's too bad we didn't get into it. We kind of ran out of time there, but uh, the time we had was awesome. And once again, I thank you, John, for taking the time to uh, be on the show. And did he win the money shot? You have to listen to find out. Don't you know that already? Um, and also feel free to check out the previous guests on the show. I've interviewed the most amazing and cool Manitobans or people who have just who have been in Manitoba. You don't necessarily have to be born in Manitoba to be on this show. You really have to just have visited the province in some capacity. Okay? Like, for instance, uh, Paul McCartney. He could be on the show. Paul McCartney, if you're listening, please, I'd love to, have, I'd love to talk to you. <laughs> I'm sure you have lots to say to me <laughs> about being on the show. But um, uh, let's say... Um, who, Lady Gaga, no, she's been here. Who has not been to Manitoba? Who can I, uh, Elon Musk. You, you forget it, you, you, you stay with Joe Rogan. I'm not interested. You, you, unless you've set foot in this Keystone province, you can forget it, chump. Because that's what you are. You're a chump. And if you want to challenge me, you're going to win. I'll tell you that right now. I back down easily. <laughs> Anyways, what else? Is there anything left to say? There's always something to say. Oh, my God. John Waldman. Check him out on Twitter at, at John Waldman. That's John, J-O-N, Wald, W-A-L-D, man, M-A-N, M-A-N, M-A-N. Um, yeah, if you want to contact, get in hold of him through Twitter, there you do. There you go. That's all you do. Um, oh, and I should also, oh, and I should also mention that uh, there's a Patreon account for the show, uh, Ronald George Moore, specifically, that's me, Ronald George Moore, you could uh, go check out the, the show, 
Um, also, as well as interviewing people, I do. Uh, I try to do two a week of uh, just like a kind of a ten minute rant on certain subjects. The Tuesday titter, aka Tuesday tango, is just you know it's just uh, me picking a subject. Friday foreplay, I try to recommend some past history gold from Manitoba that you may have missed and you want to check out on the weekend. The Wednesday whack off, where we get down and dirty, if you know. What I'm I think you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, all the all the archive episodes there are on the Patreon account. You can unlock them all, and for a dollar, for a dollar. Now, the real question is, is it worth a dollar? That's debatable, and I don't know if I'd even be on the pro side of yes, it is. But but still, come on, or don't. Just listen to the uh, wicked interviews with uh, some of the. Oh, I already yeah, just the best guests. You know it. I know it too. All on SoundCloud. Go check out those guests and uh, stalling, installing until the KLF are gonna play right away. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. You are a Winnipeg writer. I am. You write books. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, do you read a lot of books yourself? First question. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, well, it's, it's always a thing. I mean, when you, ha- when you have a, a five-year-old daughter, a lot of the books that you read are geared towards what her interests are. And sometimes you have to preview a book before you read it to her, especially now that she's into Pokemon yeah. pretty big. But um, my favorites are the... Our autobiographies, or um, or or more nonfiction, so Freakonomics, uh, Stuart McLean books, sort of are the only ones that go more into the fiction side. But yeah. always been a big fan of uh, of autobiographies, especially when it's somebody that uh, that I've respected over the years. Um, probably the last one that I read was Mindy Kaling's tremendous writer and tremendous personality, and she has so many great quality star and I, I i absolutely loved her autobiography so yeah we're going to be exploring your life and just uh, figuring out how you got to where you are right now yep which is and you are uh calling from winnipeg the question is john mm-hmm. where were you born i was born in winnipeg what, ho- what hospital uh that would be the women's center oh the women's uh, center very cool yep yeah. Way back in 1979, so I, f- I feel ancient, but you know what? It's uh, it's been an an interesting life to say the least. I, most of it has been in Winnipeg. Um, I spent two years uh, at Ryerson University, um, and then lived one additional year in Toronto. But nice. yeah, uh, Pegger, born and bred. Yep, I got a few years in Toronto. We're definitely going to be talking about Toronto living coming up. Absolutely. Uh, and so uh, you're born at that hospital, and where did you go? What part of the city were you? Uh, I grew up in River, in River Heights. So, Heights. yeah. So, but I, uh, I, as part of, as a member of the Jewish community, you, you're sort of steered towards the, um, towards those schools. So, my first school was uh, the Herzliya Torah Academy on Fleet. Um, for high school, I went to Joseph Lindsay Collegiate, and then to the University of Winnipeg for my first degree. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But did, did that directly influence? Uh what part of the city you were living in or or just you uh your parents wanted you to be close to school it, they, they they my mom lived here from when she was a when she was a child um and my dad was a grew up in the north end in the maples area oh, nice. but, for, but for you know they just they decided that they wanted to 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 live south at that point the migration uh, from the of the Winnipeg Jewish community from north to south was already largely happening. Um, it happened. It became even larger as the years went on. But you know there was there the situation at the time was that the there was of course the Herzliya synagogue where I went to where I went to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was also the Shari Zedek synagogue at uh, at Wellington Crescent uh, where my family were, became members, and it seemed like just like a lot of the amenities. Um, for a lot of families where it was in that area along with the growing community. Um, a lot of the people that I grew up with um, on my street were Jewish and yeah. we, it just became one of those things where River Heights 
had a was known as one of the the Jewish communities in the city. Okay, I see. And where would where would you hang out in River Heights? Like as you were growing up, like places around your home, was there a, a hot spot or a restaurant you'd like to go to or a park? You know, it was. I mean, with the the parks were where there's so, the good thing about River Heights is that there are so many parks uh, in this area. So for me, there was the there was the park at uh, at Brock or at sorry at, uh, Mathers and Cordova uh, yes. uh, at the on the other side of Montrose School. Uh, so we definitely hung out there a lot. But for, I mean, for me, I I had one of those you know very fortunate childhoods because there were a lot of kids my age that were on our streets. So a lot of the time was spent especially in the spring and summer we're playing on playing road hockey or playing baseball and things like that yeah well honestly with your friends you know we we'd occasionally you know take our bikes down to niagara drugs or to um you know the the shell or or the 7-eleven to get slurpees and that kind of thing but 7-eleven on um on cordon or cordon niagara yeah yeah okay cool yeah but yeah, the, I mean, it, it, we, I was fortunate that we that I had a lot of friends in the area, and, and it's something that I think a lot of people will say about uh, River Heights is that you have so many young families. Um, and as was even uh, I was even talking with uh, with relatives over the weekend, it's had that renewal where there's a lot more young families in the area now. Mm-hmm. Um, so you so you get that you have that that renaissance as it were, and you know you're not I'm not necessarily gonna send my daughter out on her bike to a corner store like you once like I was able to do. Uh, back in the day, but you still you still have a lot of those elements of you know that you that you get to know the families very well, and you end up spending all your time with those kids, like just in the in the general vicinity. Right? Are you friends with any of these uh, your former friends from way back in the day? <laughs> like it's hard um, to keep up with still, them. Not obviously not as close. I mean, it, it it becomes one of those things where you know you you all take your different directions in life. Um, yeah. You know whether it's at whether it's at the point of high school, whether it's at uh, the point of um, going away for university or your careers or your fa- how your family uh, moves around. But ultimately, you know you. You still, you know, if you ever, when you see them, you, you keep in touch or you catch up. Um, Facebook certainly makes it a lot easier yeah. to have those, uh, those relationships continue. Right. And aside from, like, school, what other activities were you into? Uh, you said you were playing sports with friends. Were you, act- were you in actual, like, uh, leagues or just pickup games, uh, television, movies? What kind of stuff were you doing? <laughs> I was very much into, into uh, I played softball. Um, and soccer for a number of years. Mm-hmm. I couldn't skate worth a lick. Um, I was actually born with no arches in my feet, and yet what? somehow I, what? Yeah, I never heard so that. It made wow. Very, very hard and for, very, very hard for me, especially when you know the when I, this was before you know that are that uh, custom orthotics for skates was really a thing, um, and for me it was. Uh, it didn't deter my passion for hockey apps. I grew up absolutely loving it. I was very fortunate that my uncle had season tickets to games and I was able to go on uh, to a game, you know, probably five or six times a year. Right. And um, then we're talking the Winnipeg arena, the old school. Yes. Yes. Okay. The old school arena. Yeah. It was difficult to, for me to, to skate without having pain in my feet. Um, so I, I mean, for me, it was more you know playing road hockey, floor hockey, boot hockey, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it didn't, you know, I, I never felt like I was an outsider in the sense that I just I still kept on my passion for hockey. You know, I I collected cards. I watched Hockey Night in Canada as much as I could. I yeah. really started to get to engage in the history of hockey, um, even at an er, at an early age, and learned about you know the Jean Bellevaux, the Maurice Richards, the Gordie Howes of the world, uh, partly from my dad, but partly just from my own interest and lo- wanting to to learn more about about the sport and everything around it. Yeah, I was going to say, did you get, were you watching it with your dad, like uh, watching games? He was a big influence on you sports-wise or? Absolutely. My dad and my uncle were both big influences. Uh, being able to go to games was an, was a, a privilege that I, I don't uh, I don't take for granted whatsoever. But just having that 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 sense of, that, of, a, of a sport that was, that had so much wonderment to it yeah. um, and having great role models as we did like Dale Howarchuk, uh, Tima Solani growing up that really, it really made it um, something that was approachable and something that even though I wasn't able to partic- participate in it myself, yeah. um, you know, I, w- I was still able to have a lot of fun around it. When did you start uh, collecting sports cards? 
I started my, I got my first cards from my uncle um, when I was only a couple years old. I mean, I had no idea what they were at the time. Later on, I learned what they were. And, you know, by 84, I was going out um, after swimming lessons to get stickers or cards and that kind of thing at Niagara. Mm-hmm. And, um, were you and going just to the cons- Pan Am pool for swimming lessons? I was. Of course. I was. The best of the best. And uh, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. Um, and uh, and yeah, so it, it just it just started from there, and I, I never really let go of it. I just I collected throughout my 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 younger years, my high school years, and into university, and yeah. it just it's something that stayed with me. And and I'm I'm very fortunate that I've been able to incorporate a lot of my career into it. No so. comic books? You didn't collect comic books? That was my thing. I was collecting comic books at my teen years. I wasn't really a fan of of. Of comic books are really um, a lot of the sci-fi fantasy when I was a kid. I mean, for me, it was you know like I like I had the okay, the, the the Superman figure and, yeah. and uh, those kind of things. For me, when I, it was more when I if I was if I was interested in uh, something of that genre, it was more in the in watching TV shows. So it was Transformers, it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, nice. and naturally the toys that went with them. Yeah. But it wasn't I you know, like the I mean like the Batman of the world and X Men, etc. I was never into it, more into it now as a as an adult than I was as a child for yeah, sure. Yeah, because now the movies have made them so popular, right? Like all those comic books like Daredevil, who would have heard of that in the eighties of of that superhero? It really is amazing. And and even, you know, like when I when I look at what, at, some, at some of the figures that I got, and I remember that there were um, back in the day there were McDonald's Happy Meals that had uh, DC Comics superheroes, and like this, like these were the days of Green Lantern and Superman in the you know in their pre era before you know it went every which way. Uh, but there were some that are that seems to have been lost to the uh, to the test of time, like Martian Manhunter. Yeah. That really that I dug up the, the figures recently, but it was you know something that I, I I don't have any kind of idea of whether those are so popular or not. It's just it was it was more so that I had something to play with than something that I deeply engrossed in when I, in terms of reading or anything like that. Where did you, where did you start buying cards? Where were they selling them back in your day? Like. Uh... And do they sell them now, like at the same places? Probably not. Well, Niagara. I mean, it was Niagara Drugs, like I said, was the main place where I where I bought them. Oh, okay. Um, and, and it's no longer in in operation. I think it closed in. I want to say ninety four or ninety five or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, it was definitely an experience, unlike you know what what you can have today. It was the true mom and pop corner store that you would ride on your bikes to, or or you would hop out of your parents' car and and run it and grab a few a few packs for a dollar or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, um, it also in the summer, uh, my family had a cottage in Winnipeg Beach, so I would go to McGregor's to get baseball cards during the summer and hockey cards at Niagara in the in the winter. Right, right. I was thinking more like because I worked at Bill's Video, and they they started selling sports cards like, and they were I'd say half our clientele were like people coming in to buy cards, <laughs> not just packs like boxes, boxes of yes. cards, you know. It's the oh, yeah. popularity has remained steady for the last. Well, you, you know better than I do, but it appeared that way back then, and I guess still it's it's popular. It has a, it's had a, a good uh, renaissance. Um, like I, I mean, the the big time that a lot of people remember would be the late '80s, early '90s, when there was a real boom and a lot of new companies started to come up, like Upper Deck, Pro Set, and Score. Um, after in around the 1994, when there was the baseball strike and the hockey lockout, um, or at least the one of the early hockey lockouts, um, is when a lot of it started to peter off. Um, when oh. when there was overproduction, when there were when a lot of it well, was what's now referred to as the junk wax era, um, really took hold, um, and then it it died down. Like it didn't it didn't die off by any stretch of imagination through the 90s and and 2000s, but it it became more of a niche hobby rather than a true pursuit but amid the uh the pandemic um people sp- were rediscovering their collections or re are re-engaging in it because they had money that they were otherwise would have spent on going to see hockey and football games exactly. they went back and and looked at their old collections and purchase new right. um and being where i am now um in the memorabilia world it's been absolutely amazing to see how much has of a resurgence it actually has now? Yeah, yeah, and I would think even more so now with what is it? The you own the digital copy of these cards, isn't that what the next step is? It is in some ways, and and it and there's a 
there are a number of companies, uh, Tops, for example, um, Panini does a couple as well um, that ha- that have apps that are card based. But there's also um, a growing uh, interest in general. Um, it, it by no means has it has a replaced physical cards. Uh, you know, you can still buy cards easily. You know, aside from the availability at a at somewhere like a Walmart or at a hobby shop, um, one of the several that are still uh, around in Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, but it is it is absolutely phenomenal, and what is all, what also has helped the hobby is the um, is the growth of eBay, the growth of um, other marketplaces, yeah. uh, Facebook groups, etc. That have made it so accessible to find the kind of cards that you wanted when you were a kid that either you couldn't afford or to get uh, cards of new heroes. Right, right, okay, all right, yeah. We're going to talk a little bit more of that because. Uh People are like, why are we talking about these cards? Because you have a whole, you wrote a whole book about collectible cards. You're, you're, did you enjoy school? Like, did you get a kick out of it? Or were you kind of like, I had enough of this? The school and high school experiences were were what they were. I mean, you know, you, you sort of go through them knowing that you have, that there's an end goal of whatever it is you're going to do next in life, whether you're going to yeah. go straight into the workforce or, um, like I did, pursue ultimately a career in, in journalism um, and, and go to Ryerson University for my, uh, for my uh, first part of my post-secondary education. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, yeah, like the, the, the actual school experience was second to some of the extracurriculars. Um, I was a member of uh, B'nai B'rith Youth Organization and wow. absolutely loved that environment. Uh, played floor hockey on Saturday um, and you know, did had those experiences that were that I I can admittedly say I have more fond memories of than the uh, than the experience of high school where I was not I had a I, I had a, the same experience that a lot of people did. But when you grow when you're in a uh, a faith based high school yeah. um, and your classes, you know your your class ends up being less than 20 kids and you your overall school population is 250 to 300 it's a different environment than say if you went to a grant park or a sisler or a kelvin mm-hmm. where you might not even know all the people that you're that you end up graduating with oh, right, um, in for my sure. in my case you know you not only know everybody you know their parents you know their cousins you know the, the whole nine yards nice. so it's a very it's a very intimate uh experience that you have growing up no one's overlooked um, in the education system there there's no way to be overlooked (laughs) in the education system when you're when you have that few few uh, kids around you right right cool okay we're talking about how you know you're interested in journalism and writing when did you discover stories it was actually in high school um i was very fortunate to have Sheldon Overman as a teacher um, who wrote several books and was well known in the writing community um, in Winnipeg. Um, he wrote books like The Always Prayer Shawl, for example. Um, so for for me to to learn under him and really have, be able to explore um, a lot of the themes that he was that that he had been already learning about. It was it was there that I really that I that I really opened my eyes to, to journalism and really, um, and the whole storytelling aspect. And as soon as I got into it, I knew that I had an end goal, um, that, yeah, if I could write for the free press, if I could write for the sun, those would be fantastic. But my ultimate goal was to write books. And what were you, what were your early writing? How did, how did your career start? What were you- uh, my early, my earliest career, the first publication that I wrote for was the Jewish post, um, doing a high school column. Um, but even like what was the column? What was that? the column called? Titles are important. Oh God, I think it was just like high school scene or something, just very simple <laughs> like that. Sure. Um, but it was, you know, it it, it 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 was a good testing ground for me, and ultimately, um, you know, that I used I used that, and I started to you know get take some of my other passions um, like sports cards, uh, pro wrestling, things like that, and I was able to build out um, the opportunities that to start writing. When I when I was doing that was when the World Wide Web was starting to uh, come about and on uh, all these newfangled things called websites were were out. So hey, all they all need words and stories and letters and yeah yeah exactly. So you had this endless landscape of opportunities to write. Um, never paid for anything paid uh, anything for them, but I I started writing for a few wrestling websites for a couple sports card websites and just used that as my as a tool to eventually get into 
other spots. So at the University of Winnipeg, I wrote for the Uniter. I wrote for uh, the music magazine, whose name I'm trying, I can't remember Which offhand. One, uh, uh, whatever it was, the, the local music magazine Stylus. for UW. The Stylus, thank you. There thank you. you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I wrote for Stylus for a few, uh, uh, sometimes as well. And I just, and I just kept going with that. And, um, and when, once I got to Ryerson, I already had a decent part, uh, you know, small, but decent portfolio under my belt. Yeah. Uh, and was able to, you know, parlay that into the some of the opportunities that I always wanted. I started to write for the Hockey News. I had a, a home improvement column uh, for the Winnipeg Sun for yeah. a while, wrote features for the Free Press eventually, and just kept going from there. And then, so you moved to Toronto. You're moving by yourself? I moved there, yeah, for, my, for by myself for, for university. Did you have any kind of, uh, uh, you know, community to help you out when you were in Toronto, or are you just like... Just arriving in the big city off the bus type of thing. <laughs> I had some relatives, and um, the fortunate thing for me was that there are so many expats in Toronto that came from Winnipeg that I was able to find uh, people very quickly um, or reconnect with some people. But for me, you know, the just the, the experience of being in in residence at Ryerson was more than enough because there were so many, because you had people that were coming um, primarily from small town Ontario uh, to go to school and to live there. Yeah. But I also had, um, you know, there were so there were a number of Winnipeggers throughout my building. Um, there were other yeah. uh, people from Alberta or from BC that, ca- that came in also along with my journalism class, uh, which became a very tightly knit group, which included a couple of Winnipeggers um, as part of us. So yeah. it was something where we were, where, where it felt like still you were in that small community and you still, despite being in the big city of Toronto, you had that small town feel to it. And you're staying on the residence, so that's that's pretty much right downtown, pretty close to yep. Dundas Square, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, how, what was. did you think of Toronto? What, did, what were your pros and cons about living in Toronto? Um, the biggest pro was for me was that I was able to walk um, anywhere and to get anything yes. that I wanted. Absolutely. Um, you know, Living, you know, living where where I did, you close to Dundas Square, as you say, there was um, there was a cool little um, used DVD and bookstore that was close Loved by it. there. The two level split thing, you go yes. there. I, I love that place. I got my organized rhyme CD there way back. Yeah, around like I left. I was there from ninety six to two thousand. So I just missed okay, you. gotcha. You were there two thousand, two thousand one. I was there for 2000 to 2002, and then um, I'd actually met my wife um, while I was on uh, while I was on winter break um, in, in 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 late 2001, early 2002, mm-hmm. and she was and she happened to be uh, studying at York University at the same time. Nice. Um, so I came back after after I finished my career uh, at Ryerson. I I came back to Winnipeg for a year, and then I moved back out there to be with her while she finished up her degree. Um, but yeah, like I. That it was that experience that we that I was able, you know, I, I went to those little record stores. I went to um, the Imperial Public Library with my with my buddies for um, for drinks from time to time. Um, I was I was able to go to Sound the Record Man before it closed down. Yeah. I was able to see Maple Leaf Gardens before it closed down. So I had all these unique, very cool experiences living in downtown Toronto before um, my second stint um, being at Young and Edmonton. Okay, cool. Very cool. Young Anglington. And what are the cons about living in Toronto? What didn't you like? The con it's it's so easy to get swallowed up in the city and to um and to find that to not really find your way and because uh, Toronto more so than than Winnipeg is a commuter city. You know, like everybody talks about how nobody lives downtown, but there actually are is a growing population here that does yeah. um versus toronto it's so hard to find people that actually do true to life live downtown other than student populations so even in even in the young and Eglinton area there's a lot of apartment life there's a lot of, of there there's some communities that are similar to mm-hmm. what you'd find in winnipeg but it's still not the same there's so there's a lot more suburbia um you know living out in places like thornhill for example than there is in winnipeg um and Honestly, like if I wanted to, if I wanted to meet to 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 see somebody outside of Ryerson, outside the Ryerson community, yeah. it was a long trip. Like for my wife and I, because because we she was at at the York University campus, it was an hour to an hour and a half by subway slash bus for us to to see each other. So it was a lot different than being in Winnipeg. And if we even if if she was in the North End and I was South, for example, yeah. you know that's a 
it's a half hour drive or, you know, not, not that, that's long or complicated a commute, um, by, by bus. Right. So you're, it's a much different environment and you really feel like you can be like, if you're, that if you're not a student or you're not, um, within a certain community that you, uh, that you can get swallowed up easily and get lost in some ways. Oh yeah, for sure. There's people everywhere. There's no, <laughs> there's no privacy really. Absolutely. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. Okay. So let's, yeah, let's go into some of the books that you've, that you've written. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to start with, uh, it's okay. According to my research, uh, you edited a book, Slam Wrestling Stories from the Squared Circle, written by Greg yeah. uh, Olive. Is that right? Greg Oliver and myself Oliver. were the co-editors on it. Yeah. Yeah, but but he like Greg is considered the author of the book, right? Or is it, no, I, I didn't get to in, see the book. It's all good. It's all good. We are. It's it's an older book, so not, that's not uh, it's not surprising. But it was a um, it was a co we we were co-editors essentially on the book, um, and it was basically it was a it was a compilation of the of all the of. I think it ended up being a hundred articles uh, from Slam Wrestling, the the site that um, where Greg was one of the producers along with John Powell, and I was one of the was one of the the lead editors. Okay, well, um, Slam and, Wrestling. What is that? A magazine? A league? I don't, I've never heard of it. I don't it remember was, it. For lack of a better term, it was part of uh, Slam Sports, which was part of Canoe uh, Sun Media's uh, website. Okay. Yeah. So we so we ended up so it the the being part of Sun Media was was interesting in itself because you had uh, the battles sometime between editorial freedom versus having the and having some of the um, like the Toronto Sun and Ottawa Sun writers being able to contribute versus having some of the freedoms that you that you really wanted to have to be able to uh, make to generate revenue on your own etc right. sure it was you know I would, certainly would not have traded the experience for anything um, because it ended up being my entry into the book world and ended up being um, a great place to cut my teeth to learn the ins and outs of true journalism versus speculative journalism versus opinion and all yeah. and all that kind of, kind of stuff so I was able to really um, within the book I was I led a lot of the the discovery of which okay which were the articles that we wanted to feature who were the personalities that we had to include who are the writers that, that we wanted to have some great articles from yeah and Etc. Along with giving some of the telling some of the backstory of the website, right? And uh, we, I think you mentioned earlier, but you were a wrestling fan growing up as well. I was a huge wrestling fan, uh, primarily WWF because it yeah. was it was what was most successful with uh, with the superstars of wrestling being on every Saturday. But I watched them. I remember vividly watching Stampede, for example, with my with my both my grandfathers. Awesome. Um, AWA to a certain extent, but certainly um, by the time I was more conscious of wrestling it was um awa was already Over. already full so it so I, I didn't get the chance as much to see like the nick Wa- nick bockwinkles of the world my i grew up on hogan and the warrior and Bret Hart more yeah. so than and you, you went to the the shows at the arena occasionally yeah um for me it was i it it was more about uh, about it being, a, a, in some ways, a TV show rather than it being, um, you know, a true, you know, something where I became a diehard, hardcore fan. Um, you know, I had the wrestling figures that we all did, um, the giant uh, immobile LJN figures. But for me, it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was. I treated it in the same way as I did Transformers in a, in a way that it wasn't something. If I if I got to see a show live, great. If I didn't, it wasn't a big deal to me. Exactly. So it was really nice that you were able to write about something that you actually have passion for already. You know, not just. Yeah. signs here and there you know here write about this this bake-off or whatever you know like you're writing about something <laughs> that you already like that's that's great um so then after uh that book get them got them need them a fan's guide to collecting the top 100 sports cards of all time 2011 yes. right you wrote yep. this with a gentleman called Stephen larachi larach 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 ecw press uh What's the experience? Because obviously you have, once again, you're writing about something that you love. You got pa- passion there. You got the Holy Trinity. I was able to skim through the book there. The Holy Trinity. <laughs> yep. Let's see if I can remember. You got Wayne Gretzky. Okay. Yep. You got, oh my God, uh, the, the the Golden Jet. <laughs> Bobby Hall. He isn't actually. The, oh, no. The Trinity, mem- Damn. No, the Trinity members are, are, are Gretzky, Bobby Orr, and Gordy Howe. That's it. Bobby Orr. Not Bobby Hall. Yep. As you can tell, okay. I'm not exactly – I'm not a sports guy, but we're gonna, I'm going to try my best here. Uh, okay. 
Tell me about the what you loved about writing with that book, and what how do you work with someone? How do you collaborate with someone on a book? It's different. Um, I mean, you're basically what we what we did is we did a we did an old school draft where we. We 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 came we came up with the list of of the cards that we wanted to profile, and then drip, split it up fifty fifty based on which ones we either knew the most about or had the most passion for, um, or had in our own collections. Yeah. So there was uh, there was certainly um, a lot of opportunities to write about um, you know some of the ones that I grew up loving. Um, and the, the the cool part of it was I had already been writing in the in the sports memorabilia world for a number of years uh, for Canadian Sports Collector or Beckett or some of the other publications, but I was able to take what I was doing um, and take it a step further. So, for example, when I when in writing up uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson, I was able to speak over email with W. P. Kinsella about uh, about his book Shoeless Joe and the Field of Dreams, which inspired, which was in part a big part of where the the Joe Jackson card um, really came into my consciousness. Yeah. Um, so you know, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was very interesting to to speak with um, to speak with him about that. But I also had this growing archive of player interviews that I had done um, where I was able to to speak with guys like Marty Brodeur and Sidney Crosby about their own cards or their own collections growing up and things like that. Um, so it was, uh, it's, it's, it, it started, I was able to, to get a couple of entries from those kind of interviews into that book. And then um, in the second uh, collectibles book, He Shoots, He Saves, I was able to build on even more of those stories. And it's been absolutely tremendous to do those. Right, right, right. And He Shoots, He, sh- he Saves came out in 2015. Yeah, the story yeah. of hockey's collectible treasures. Uh, yeah. And this book is uh, it's co-written with Philip Pritchard? It was it uh, uh, Philip Pritchard, uh, who is known as the Keeper of the Cup, did the foreword for the book. Why is he known as the Keeper of the Cup? He is the gent who travels with the Stanley Cup um, oh, from the Hockey Hall of Fame and care, and goes to uh, any time that there's an award ceremony, um, any time that it goes on um, most, or I should say, most times that it goes on tours, or if he, if somebody, um, you know, if, if when the players take it, either often Phil will be the one that travels with them. Nice, and he did. He wrote the forward. Okay, yes. so he's not a co-writer. This is your baby here. That's mine. That was my first solo book. Yeah. Nice. And it's all about uh, hockey collectibles, not just the Jets, but hockey, hockey collectibles yep. in here. This is pretty fascinating stuff, too. Uh, like everything from, like, jerseys to sticks. Uh, what, what's, a, what's a really unique one in here? I, I noticed there's even, like, rings. Is there, like, a hockey ring? Yeah. Um, any, anybody who wins the Stanley Cup gets a, st- gets a ring. The same way that in, in a lot of sports, um, say from, this, from winning the Super Bowl or winning, uh, winning the World Series, um, you end up getting a ring as, the, as your eternal um, memento from, of that journey. But right. there's other rings that are awarded out throughout the um, throughout a player's career. But the one that probably stuck out to me most, um, I would have to say from the Philadelphia Flyers because they – when in the mid 1970s, when they won their two Stanley Cups, they there were there's always there's always a, little, a few collectibles that come around it. Um, today, you might find a, a miniature Stanley Cup with the with the team's uh, logo emblazoned on it, or you might find other such collectibles mm-hmm. um, for them. But in the 70s, when the when the Flyers won, they actually uh, recorded LPs of a few of the games and sold those or um, or mock up songs. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's for the true collector. Yeah, absolutely. and getting back to your uh, "Got 'em, Got 'em, Need 'em," <laughs> which is a great title. <laughs> I always love the the number twenty. Do you remember number twenty in the book? Uh, I don't. Bill Ripkin, where he's got the fuck face in the in the bat because yeah. I've always heard, I've heard that story before. And if you don't know the story, uh, the guy is taking his uh, his picture for the baseball card. He knows he's doing it, and the story is a co uh, co team member wrote fuck face at the base. The knob of his bat so when he's holding yeah. in the picture it says fuck face but it, the funny thing is it's like perfectly like it's you know it, it, you could read it clearly if, oh, you, yeah. if you focus on it but then reading the story about the card it's unveiled that he actually did it himself he wrote fuck face on the bat himself right yeah and, well, like, and, it's, and it's funny because there's a lot a lot of players over the years they would they would you know Trading card photo day for some people was was amazing because they absolutely loved the idea of being on a card because it's something that they collected when they were a kid. Oh yeah, and to be on it's that a dream come true for a kid. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Others were more uh, more peeved at it. So you can see, um, like for example, Frank Thomas raising the middle finger, uh, not so subtly, on a couple of his really? uh, of his cars. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so, it's also yeah, so, sad because it's for kids, but well, it's sad, but it, it's and it, it's something that's. I mean, you know, most kids because he did it subtly enough, like they wouldn't have noticed it. But collectors over the time they start to to pick these things out, and other times it's you know, in the case of, of the Billy Ripken card, they're editors caught it early enough that in later print runs uh they were able to block it out either with a black box or a white box or something like that there's a bob gibson card where you can see um on the original print of the card you can see a player in the background rubbing scratching his crotch oh okay so you can so there's (laughs) there's all sorts of and there's some fantastic websites um that that have traced these um less than appropriate or not safe for work cards over the years. And yeah. it, it, it pops up from time to time. You worked at the Topps Company. Isn't yes, that almost I, a dream come true for someone who's collecting cards? It was amazing. And I, and I, still, I still work with them. Um, on a, uh, and I've, it's, I'm actually in my 15th year of working with them on a freelance basis oh of God. writing cardbacks or in, and developing products and now primarily working in the, this, in the WWE Slam app um, as, one of the, as one of the producers. Wow. And here's a question for you. Do you have your yeah. own card? Is there a John Waldman card floating around out there? <laughs> there is not, unfortunately. Oh, come and on. I, you got to get on that. <laughs> I'm gonna to have to, to ask Toss about that because other other uh, personalities in the in the company have had their own cards, so it's uh, that's gonna to have to be a project for the year for sure. Exactly, priority number one. Okay, so your your book he shoots he saves was uh, 2015, I believe, but that was the same year. A uh, hundred jets, a fa- hundred things Jets fans should know and do before they die. Yeah, another book. Wow, and it says forward by Dave Babbage. I'm assuming he's a Jet. He was. He was indeed. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you put out two books on the, in the same year. It's 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 just how time how time ends up uh, up working out. The the this uh, he shoots he saves ended up uh, being a little bit longer in uh, in the editing side and in the interim I was able to do the jazz book for which I had oh. about uh, months to write. This, this is a really cool book. It's the ultimate resource guide for true Jets fans. So this is going to be one hell of a popular book in this city, man, because people love the Jets here. It, it's like true love. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm honestly, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very, I feel very fortunate to have been able to write it. It was my second shot at writing a jazz book, and it, um, it was a, uh, it was an absolute passion to write it, and I absolutely loved every minute of writing that book and um, sharing a lot of the interviews that I'd done um, throughout my career and yeah. being able to talk about a team that I grew up watching, of course, but um, had so much admiration for the for not only the athletes, but the personalities around it. Yeah, and I just love it. You know, it incorporates kind of bridging the two generations together of the arena and the MTS Center and the heartache that the Winnipeggers felt when it was finally gone, had that special season, right? What was it? Yep. There was a certain name for that season, right? Uh, it was the season to remember. The season to remember. I definitely remember yep. being at the Forks and having a big rally for everyone to donate money to the players. I don't know. It's just such a weird, that was a weird ending, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, of course they came back. And this book, 100 Things, what's number 100? Uh, partying at Portage in Maine? Yep. <laughs> have you done that yourself? I have. Yeah. I did that after the... I want to say it was the 2010, um, no, not the 2010. Sorry, it was the 2014 um, Olympics when when Canada won um, was when I was when I did that. But yeah, there there have been so many opportunities um, to to do that, and hopefully there's more on the way with uh, with the current team. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting close on time here, so let's go right into your your your, your newest book. It's just out. It's not just out. It's coming out March 20th. March 30th. Yeah. March 30th. One man's journey through infertility and what we can all learn from it. Now, I watched your TEDx talk there. Uh, you, you are heavily involved in uh, the awareness of infertility. I got to take a, a quick look at the book, and you talk everything from causes of infertility, sex and drugs, comedy, mental health, adoption options. How did you... Well, if you watch your TEDx talk, you kind of explain your story about how you came across the topic of uh, infertility. But what can you tell me... Uh, about the book itself the path of the book was simply that i wanted to do something that had 
not only a patient's perspective on it because yeah. there have been other, but I felt like I needed something that a talked about about men's experience through infertility because there's painfully little um, on men's uh, on the, how men deal with infertility in the first place, yeah. uh, but also how how the to take it from a perspective like I like to do in, in a lot of my writing is um, to have it be more light, more light, quote unquote, to have it as, as something that's an easier read, something that's relatable, something where I'm not only, I'm sharing my story and sharing the experiences that I've had and that others have had and telling it in a way that you're not, that's less clinical or less statistical based. And while in, incorporating those aspects, but to have something where, where you feel like you're, you're not just, you know, that you're not just re- that's not someone's not talking at you, um, as it were. That someone's talking with you, and that's right. really the, the what I felt was was going to be so important. What was your experience working uh, like with TEDx and, and speaking in front of a crowd about infertility? It was different in the sense that I had already started to do um, a number of media appearances and you know uh, speaking on CTV, CGOB and others but it was more so about the oppor- the opportunity and experience of speaking to not only a Winnipeg audience or a national audience as I'd done a few times but really to yeah. an international audience because TEDx is populated online as one of their as one of the, the key points um, along with that it was completely scripted so it was for anybody who's wondered about doing a TEDx uh, talk, it, it is, has to be something that you feel like you can talk from an expert point of view, yeah. but from a passionate point of view for 10 to 15 minutes. It was a lot of, it was very interesting and I've made some lifelong friends from it, uh, but it was nerve wracking and I would be fooling myself if I didn't say that there were a couple times that I felt like I, I can't, I finish this out in some ways it was more nerve wracking than writing books because you're, you're pouring everything you have into creating a speech. That's albeit brief. It is, it is, so, there's a huge passion play to it. And there's so much that you, that you are putting out there yeah. for so many people to digest. And I'm proud of the viewership that it's had and the opportunities that it's opened up for me. Right, right. And you can find your, uh, this book is just basically, that's like the diving board into this book, as it were, right? Because you kind of briefly touch on that TEDx talk about infertility. And this is your journey through the experience of, 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 uh, I guess a five year wait. Would that be the wrong word to say? Yeah. It was a six, it was a six year journey um, to have our, to have our, our, to, in order to have our, our daughter. It was, um, it involved a lot of testing, a lot of uh, different trials and processes, and but it and it ended up obviously being very worth it. Um, as any would be parent who who gets who goes on their journey, whatever however long it is, yeah. and ultimately ends up with a child. Um, you know, they'll they'll say that that all that everything is worth it in the end when you're able to hold that baby and your or your that kid in your arms for the first time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it. I felt like it was it was something that I had to share, and I and I felt that again, like there just hadn't been a lot that was talked about with the male experience that I felt needed to be to be talked about more broadly and more openly. Yeah, and it's definitely as you say in that in the in the tech the, the TEDx talk TED talk TED talk, you know, you're a a girls guy, and I feel very yeah. much so. I'm a girls guy, but I always thought it's the whole sports thing and how guys can't really communicate uh, on this deeper level you know, about feelings and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, this is what the book is going to give us. It's going to give us, uh, you know, the in-depth version. of Absolutely. Uh, and uh, so congratulations on the book. Are you excited for its release? Excited and nervous because, you know, the one thing that you want to make sure of is that it's getting to the right people and that it's going to be absorbed properly. And I, 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 have, I have confidence that it will, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, 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 it's definitely a nervous time as well. Right. Yeah, well, once again, congratulations, and uh, we're going to go right into it, John. we got the, the money shot happening. I'm going to give you 100 questions that you we have to complete together in five minutes. Now, uh, it's about three seconds average for a question answer to get out, so it's not just you answering fast. i got to ask my questions fast. Um, 90% of the questions have to be right. If you want to pass, you can pass. I'll, I'll come back to it, and uh, that's about it. Do you have any questions about the, the gig here? Good to go. Good to go. Fantastic. All right. John Waldman. Tonight's Money Shot is... A 
dropping two dollars and four cents. Name a Winnipeg blue theater. Grand Park Cinema. Name a Winnipeg bar. Pambi. Name a Winnipeg restaurant. I'm gonna, I was going to say grapes. I'll say Applebee's. <laughs> Name a Winnipeg park. Montrose Park. Name a Winnipeg band. Crash Test Dummies. Pick a number between 1 and 10. 7. Broccoli or cauliflower? Broccoli. Bananas or apples? Apples. Rice or potatoes? Rice. Favorite salad dressing? Italian. Favorite soup? Tomato. Girls just want to have what? Fun. Boys don't what? Smoke. Uh, name a Grammy winner. R. Kelly. Name an Oscar winner. Tom Hanks. What would you buy at Dollarama? A uh, USB cable. How do, you, how do you like your coffee? Dark. Favorite subject in school? English. Name a movie you purchased. Field of Dreams. Name a member of the band Kiss. Stanley. Uh, name a Star Wars droid. C-3PO. What do you bring to the beach? Towel. Name a John. John Lithgow. Not, name a Betty. Betty Ford. Name a Chris. Chris Catan. Name a Sarah. Sarah Jessica Parker. Name a Beastie Boy. Adam. Nice. <laughs> what goes in the freezer? Ice cream. Name something round. Pizza. Do you have a driver's license? Absolutely. Do you have a fishing license? No. Do you have a hunting license? No. Name a painting. Mona Lisa. Name a book. Field of Dreams. Name a record album. Day for Night. Name a film. Field of Dreams. Name a breakfast cereal. Special K. Uh, what do you put in an omelet? Eggs. Name a Marvel superhero. Wolverine. Name a DC superhero. Batman. What do you put on toast? Butter. Name a sport with a racket. Racquetball. How often do you shave? Full out, maybe twice a year, otherwise once a week. Sure. Can you play guitar? No. Can you play piano? Yes. Uh, can you play drums? I like to think I can. <laughs> can you sing? I like to think I can. Name a, name a black and white movie. Uh, Ed Wood. Name a 3D movie. Avatar. Name a science fiction movie. Three minutes. Avatar. Name an 80s comedy movie. Police Academy. Ooh, good one. Uh, name a baseball movie. Build the dreams. dreams. Name something blue. Um, Jess Jersey. Name something red. Jess Logo. Name something green. Park. Name something yellow. My daughter's dress. Name something blue. I mean brown. Name something brown. A burnt pizza crust. Nice. Name something purple. Barney. Name something pink. My daughter's best friend. What would you, where would you find a flag? Outside of most schools. How, how much money is in your pocket? Some change. Name a DJ. Uh, DJ Honeycut. Last place you ordered a pizza from. Little Caesars. What toppings were on that pizza? Uh, pepperoni. Can you cook? Yes. Can you dance? Somewhat. Can you juggle? No. Can you whistle? Yes. What would you name a horse? Spirit. Pie or cake? Cake. Plain or train? Plain. Bacon or sausages? Bacon. Favorite, uh, favorite fruit? Apple. Favorite vegetable? 30 seconds. Carrot. Name a Manitoba city. Winnipeg. Name a Manitoba town. Winnipeg Beach. Name a Manitoba road. Gimli Road. Name a Manitoba lake. Lake Winnipeg. Last concert attended. Uh, Ten seconds. Uh, Paw Patrol. Name a Winnipeg jet. 
Dale Howerchuk. Name a Winnipeg Blue Bomber. Mill Stiegel. Name a Winnipeg Mayor. Bowman. That's it. Sorry. Sorry. No. Didn't make oh. it. I'm so sorry. That's, that's too bad. But hell, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, John. Thank you so much for doing the show. For sure. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. Make sure you tell your friends and family to check out the Manitoba Money Shot podcast. Where? On SoundCloud. Also on iTunes, on Stitcher, and Amazon. Follow the Manitoba Money Shot podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And we have an account on YouTube. Also, you can check out uh, patreon.com backslash Ronald George Moore. Help me out with a monthly donation. You get access to all the Tuesday tangles, all the Wednesday whack-offs, all the Friday foreplays, and a lot more. And remember, don't take five. Take what you want. <laughs>